You may be seated, that's right. Well, uh, welcome to our summer season, if you would have it, in which people travel and people go home for the summer and all these kinds of things, and it gets, it gets a little bit more intimate in here, but that's a good thing. Um, my name is Jordan, uh, and I'm a pastoral apprentice here, and I want to start this morning, let me make sure we're here, yes, okay. I want to start this morning with a, a little exercise. So everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes, yes, please. Now imagine the most ideal, peaceful scene that you can think of. A place you'd want to go, a place of beauty and rest. Now keep your eyes closed and take a moment to notice what this place looks like to you. Now open your eyes. Did what you imagine look anything like this? Or like this? Or maybe like this? These are the top Google image results for peaceful scene. Now, does anybody notice something that all of these pictures are missing? And I could have gone on and on and on with pictures like this, and I just didn't put that many in. That's right. There's no people. That was quick. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm impressed. But yeah, isn't it interesting that none of these, none of these pictures contain any people? That when we, um, when we imagine an ideal, peaceful, restful world, it doesn't contain any people. Why, why is that? I think it's because you've met one. <laughs> you've met one, right? And they're just as messed up and they're just as difficult as you and me. And so when we bring together, right, more than one person in a room, you have uh, disagreement and you have frustration and you have conflict. And so people get in the way. And so we, we shy away. We pull ourselves away from community. Why? And I think there's, there could be several reasons, but... One, could it be that the us in community gets in the way of the you and you do you? The us in community gets in the way of the you and the you do you. That it challenges that ideal of being, be true to yourself, right? Be true to yourself regardless of what others think. It challenges that because relationships require putting others' needs before your own needs. It requires patience or sacrifice, Right? Something in front of the you and the you do you. And so there's lots of reasons that people don't engage in community. Maybe um, somebody has rubbed them in the past in that community in the wrong way. Or maybe you've been hurt by community. Or maybe you feel like you just don't have the time, the energy, the capacity to, to form new relationships. Because it does take a lot of time and energy, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about this, but, you know, instant gratification. Like, why go through the trouble of hosting a movie night for your friends when you can just hit play on the Netflix subscription? Or, like, why bother calling Aunt Kathy and having ten painful minutes of, like, social small talk? You just check her profile on Facebook. She's fine. Right? She's still there. <laughs> I have an Aunt Kathy. <laughs> But we avoid, right? We avoid deep community. And while we don't always want it, we so desperately need it. And deep down, we, we know that we need to be a part of a community that, that knows us deeply, that loves us deeply. But we're not choosing what we need. We're not always choosing. We're, instead, we're choosing what we want. And that's the, the sort of problem that we're up against uh, today, isn't it? I'm just going to raise this up. That Christianity, <clears throat> we're not choosing what we need. We're choosing what we want. Christianity, though, it says that we're made for community, that we're made for relationships, <clears throat> that there's a God who exists, and we know this because he has spoken, and that he has spoken and revealed himself to be a communal being, and yet one in essence, that there's a giving and receiving between the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet they abide together in one divine nature. And so what does this mean? That means for all of eternity that God was not lonely, right? He was never isolated. Rather, he was, he was love. And it was out of an overflow of this divine love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that all of creation was birthed by the Creator. And so, like our Creator, 
right? We're, we, us creatures, we're relational beings. We're made by relationship for relationship. And so we're made for a relationship with God and with each other. And both of these are expressed in the church. That's why each week, like Brian did, thank you, one of the first things we remind you when we get together is that, well, the church is not a building. It's not the movie theater. It's the people of God, right? And this is, um, this is built on the image that Paul gives us of the church, that the church is a body, that, that Jesus, the one who made all things, is the head of the body, and that you and I, although we are many, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is actually a part of the church. And the church forms one giant global eternal community. And this is all good. You listen to this. It's all true. It's theological. But it's a bit abstract, isn't it? Um, so what should Christian community actually look like? What should we expect of Christian community? And that's what we're going to be diving into this morning. I'll ask the Lord's help, though. Lord, I ask that you would be present, working in this room by your spirit, to be drawing us closer to yourself, to be growing us more and more like you. I need your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're, <clears throat> we're in a series on the biblical book of Acts called Being the Church. And like the book of Acts, this, the aim of this series is to help us understand how the church grew uh, and struggled and expanded and worked out being the church. And so last week, Dwight preached on the foundation of the church, the beginning of it, which was Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit equipped and uh, sent the church out in witness. And, and this week, we're focusing on what and how that same spirit-filled community looked like throughout the week. We're looking at community. But I want to make a note about context before we get into this, that the, the book of Acts is historical narrative, and that it describes the early church. And so the goal as we read the text is not to make Church 21 look like exactly like it was in the first century. Otherwise, we, could, we should just call our church Church 1. Rather, we maintain the substance of the early church, the what, but we adapt the form of the church, the how. See, the Bible says very little about that how. It says very little about the form. Like, should we use lights? About the talented musicians? Should we have parking? How do we run the kids' zone? Like, these kinds of things. It tells us little about. But it does tell us about the substance, the what we are to do. And so... We, we find the ways to do the what God has called us to do in a how that is relevant and contextual to our context. And so this distinction between the what and the how has allowed the church uh, across time, across space, across cultures to remain relevant, to remain sort of elastic, if you would have it, at once grounded in the essence, the substance of the what, but elastic in the how. It actually is done. Um, and so let's look at the text. The section of verses we're looking at today, um, they're generic and they form a sort of summary statement of the, of the early church. And it comes right on the heels of Peter's preaching. Um, he ends all of his preaching off by this. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You're like, oh, that's encouraging. But it works. Look at this next verse. <laughs> so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so you have all these new Christians, and then we have this little set of verses about sort of, you know, what happens next. And so I'm just going to read through them all again. <clears throat> uh, Acts 2, if you have a Bible, in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if you're like me, but you read this, and one of the first things that pops in your head, you're like, oh, we've come so far. 
from this ideal description, right? It's actually, it can be somewhat discouraging. Like, this community, it says it was, it was devoted, right? That they were acting in, in unity. They were generously sharing their resources. There was uh, healing, and they were experiencing growth. This is like every church leader's dream. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be part of a move of God like this? But, so we read this, we read this, and we respond with this sort of sense of cynicism or discouragement. And I think many of, many of the church of people in the church of Quebec actually also sort of share in this disillusionment as well. Um, we have what I would call an Eeyore mentality. You know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Yeah. I used to be called the Eeyore of my family. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, you know, woe is me. Oh dear. We do it too, right? Like it's not much of a church. There's not much of a they're not much of a Christian. Right? But is this the view of Jesus had of his church? Is this the view he had of his church? No. Right? He says of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says not to fear the world because he has overcome the world. And so it's this resurrection hope that motivated first Christians that they were in the promise of Jesus. They were, it says, devoted, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Devotion, this is word, it means to have like a, a steadfast strength, to be um, committed despite circumstances, just plowing kind of onwards. And it's this commitment to community um, a commitment to the community of Jesus that meant putting actually aside your personal preferences, your way of doing things, and even your ideas. Because if you think about it, a mind devoted to the apostles' teaching, what Paul calls being transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? A mind devoted to that is, is to allow your entire way of thinking, your entire way of seeing the world to be reshaped by the word. But it's not, it's not just that. It's not just a new way of thinking and seeing the world. It's also fellowship, it says, and breaking of bread and prayer. Because Jesus didn't just bring us a new way of thinking. He didn't just bring us a set of doctrines or even a book like the Quran. Rather, Jesus came to live in community in order to create community. Jesus came to live in community in order to create community. He came to reconcile us to himself, to restore us to right relationship with God and with each other. And so Jesus, he's a person, right? He's not a, a book of ideas. And so if you're here and your Christianity to you is composed of listening to sermons and just sort of private Bible time, you're actually not participating in the life of the church. You're not participating in what the church is which, is, which is raw, it's real, it's physical, it's flesh and blood, it's, it's wine and bread, right? It's communion, it's fellowship, it's prayer. These things, they all matter, right? They come together because as, as Jesus was present with us, so we are to become present with one another. And so your presence in community, it matters, and that's what you're called to, but do you do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? Your devotion to the community of the church, it matters. And I'm, all, I'm not just talking about now. I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about you scattered as well in the communities that you participate in throughout the week. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So through this community, we see God brings along the miraculous. God brings about the miraculous through the community. Earlier in the same chapter, we saw that Peter describes Jesus as a man attested with these same words, with, with wonders and signs. And so we, he uses this same expression to speak about the apostles to say that they too, they had that same power that Jesus had. They had the Holy Spirit working through them. And if you go on to read the book of Acts, like I said, this is a summary statement, you'll see the miraculous works of the Spirit of God moving through his people. 
That it's, it's through the church of God that the Spirit brings about change in people's lives, miracles of, of healing and, and freedom, that the Spirit is the agent of the healing, but the church, it's the people through which it takes place. The church is, you could say, like the conduit. Have you heard the story of the person who healed themselves from a disease? Have you heard the story of the person who was able to exercise themselves as the powers that were on them? No, right? It's through the people of God. God delights to use his people to bring about our maturity, to bring about our transformation. And this can be physical, um, spiritual, emotional healing. Um, and I, I, just, I just say this without dwelling on it too much because I, I recognize that some of you have been hurt by community. I've been hurt by church community. Um, it's not something I really want to talk about. But this, the solution for me in that wasn't for me to isolate myself from all church community. Rather, it was actually seeking healing through the Spirit, through his body. Like, in the Spirit, through his body. And I can honestly say that's what I found. Like, that I've been healed of that bitterness that I had towards my church community for what happened. And so a prayer for healing, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, um, this is something that we want to make available in our communities. That's why we do prayer on the side at the front on a Sunday morning. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed about in doing that. That's an opportunity for the grace of God to be moving in your life. It's also why we do prayer as part of our city group communities. If you need prayer, please, like your city group leaders, the people in your community, they would love to pray for you uh, in that. Um, if you want to talk to uh, one of the pastoral team or to somebody who does counseling, we're available for that uh, as well. But do please seek healing in community. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, I'm kind of, you'll see I'm kind of moving quickly through these verses to get to a larger set of applications at the end. But... Two comments. One is on unity and one is on resources. Um, they had all things in common. Um, they believed together. Unity. Uh, John says that truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, that the unity we have is in and through Jesus. It's a unity around his person and, and work, um, the gospel. Because unity, if you think about it, unity for unity's sake is, is pointless. Like, anytime somebody is unified, you're like, well, what are you unified around? Well, the answer to what you're unified around, what we're unified around, is the person in the work of Jesus. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus. So that's the unity. But what about this idea of having things in common? What does it mean that they had all things in common? Is this some sort of, I put this in the email that we sent out, is this some sort of, like, 1960s hippie commune? Is this some sort of cult, right? No, that's... It, that, that's weird, right? But the, the, church, the church is not united around some sort of charismatic leader who collects wives and everybody sips Kool-Aid. <laughs> it doesn't help anybody, except for maybe that guy at the top. But it, <laughs> the church is a community that exists, listen carefully, a community that exists to serve those not yet within that community. A community that exists to serve those not yet within it. It doesn't cluster itself up. It doesn't hoard its resources. It's not like a group investment plan. It's not a big car to go, right? It's not state mandated. No, it's a community that, that voluntarily pours itself out, that cares for the poor. Why? Because this is a community, this should be a community, that understands that Jesus is king, that he's Lord over the entire, entire world. That a, that a Christian is only a steward of the king's resources. And if someone else needs those resources of the king in order to accomplish the king's mission, then a steward is the king's resources. You can just transfer those resources along in order so that the king's mission can take place. Those were his resources to start with. I think about... I think we get the impression that this is a really like radically big, impossible deal, don't we, when we read something like this. Um, but I think of last summer, David Ritz and myself. I, like, th when thinking about the things you own, it's, it's good to remind yourself, I, like, my house isn't really mine. 
It's the king of kings. And my car isn't really mine. It's the king of kings. And last year, David Ritz had a Costco membership, and I had a car. And he was like, you know, he let me use his Costco membership. I let him use my car. And that was having all things in common. See, there was nothing, like, fancy about it. This is normal Christian life. This is just living out what it means to be a Christian, of, of sharing our resources, knowing, knowing what God has gifted to us and what other people's needs are. And there are many needs in this church community. Um, if you're not aware of the needs in this church community, I certainly could tell you about a few. Ask your city group leader. I'm sure they'd be able to tell you too. But I know that for every need in this church community that God has also provided resources. Think about that. Every need in this church community, God has provided resources. He's either, he's doing it through his community in the world. It's either through like local church, regional, global, it's there. But do you believe that? Are you treating your resources as if it's something that God has entrusted to you to steward? Um, and so we move on. <laughs> And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This was a daily thing. It was life on life. Right? Um, <clears throat> it's been said that discipleship, most simply put, is simply becoming like the people that you spend the most time with. And the people that you're probably most like, at least while you're younger, is the family you grew up in because you inevitably probably spent the most time with them. Right? Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's simple. When it's like that, it's a, a somewhat simple concept. But Jesus calls us to meaningful participation, not just in the family we grew up in, but in our, our church family as well, in his family, the family of God. And so this city group, like when we talk about it, it's not just a meeting for a few hours a week. It's actually, we believe that it, this is the family of God. This is the family of God that has been given to you. And so to just show up once a week and, and sort of like tick a box of, you know, attendance, right? This, this, this completely misses the point. Like it's really, really not about this. It's, it's about being in close community with, with people who know you so that you can be known and, and know, right? To, to people who can see your life up close and actually be able to hold you accountable and challenge you to become more like Jesus, to help you grow and to be more like him. And this isn't, this isn't something that's gonna happen over the internet. This isn't something that's gonna happen uh, through the phone. I know a number of you, uh, we live in a very transient city, come from awesome places with awesome friends from back home. But you're not, the reality is um, you need a family in this context too, right? Uh, be, over the internet and over the phone, you can, you can quite skillfully hide parts of your life from those people. So that if I was to say, well, what if we had those same people just move into your house for a week? Suddenly all these things would come up and you'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Well, why? It's because you've been able to like curate part of your life away, like a museum, you know, put certain things out on display and like put other things in the back room, right? And so that's the importance of having a local community, having people who know you, that you're participating um, in, in life on life with. And that's where discipleship actually happens. And I know, I know it takes time to form relationships like this and that makes it difficult, but it is possible. Um, when Sandra and I moved to, to NDG, we weren't really close to anybody in the neighborhood. City Group was just pretty much us. It was, it was cool. But um, over time, <laughs> we got to know more people. We got to know more you know, friends and neighbors. And, and now, my, like, I love living in NDG. Like, it's completely changed my perspective. I love our City Group. It's like my favorite time of the week. There's so much joy and grace in being a part of a community that knows you and cares for you and you for them, right? There's a goodness to that. And, 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 and to avoid it, you miss out on it. You're actually missing out on the grace of God working in your life. It's a tragedy. Um, but back to our city group community, we even had multiple members recently, well, in the last few years, who decided not to move out of NDG, 
because the community that they had formed in the city group was so meaningful to them in their Christian walk. Like, how is that, right? But this is what family does, right? It cares for each other. It cares for each other to the point that it even might voluntarily try and stick together with, you know, patience and sacrifice. It can make, it can make that community, if it's your neighborhood or your place of work or where you play, it can make it feel like home. Who doesn't want, who doesn't want that? Verse 47. Uh, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can you imagine a church every day that was growing? Like, even if we added one person a day, next week there'd be seven more people in that row right there. Now, <clears throat> the church is growing. Don't get me wrong. I looked up the stats. It's about 10,000 people convert into Christianity every day, even when you factor out birth rate and other factors that cause people to leave. But how does this happen? How, how is it that the church is growing? Well, the, notice that the text says that the Lord added to their number day by day, right? It was, it was the Lord. It wasn't the efforts of the church. It was actually by the power of the Spirit of God that God was doing it that God was working, that the Lord was working, the Lord was adding to his church, but the Lord delights to use the church. He delights to use the community as the means by which he accomplishes this, as the conduit for this. And so he uses us as we live in community as he intended it to be. Because there's this picture of community that's given, right? This, this sort of family on, of servants on mission, like we like to call it, model. And it's characterized by devotion. It's characterized by sharing resources, everything in this text. And what, what happens when you do this, when, what happens when a Christian community expresses itself in this way? It creates a sort of alternate society, even within society itself, right? And so the people outside of it, they look in and they say, like, what's going on here? Right? What? Like, it elicits questions. And sharing the gospel, the message of Jesus, then simply, it just becomes a response to that question of what? Like, what's going on here? You see how that works, that interplay works? There's this new reality, this alternate society, and it begins to demand an explanation of which the gospel becomes an answer to it. It becomes its own apologetic. Well, why? Because it's the gospel that creates community. It's the gospel that creates community. Think about it. What stops you from living this out? <clears throat> what, what, what makes it so when we read texts like this, you're like me and you're disillusioned or disappointed. You're struggling with those kinds of emotions where you wish your city group were more like this. You, you wish your church or your community was like this. What, what keeps us from living this out? What, what destroys us or holds us back from this community? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give two generalized persons or possibilities. First, you have person one. Person one loves to serve. When they see a need, they meet the need. But they also, they're unwilling to ask for help. In fact, they never ask for help. They say they would rather serve than be served. That they're, they're willing to be part of a community, but only as long as they can lead the community. Now, what about person one hinders healthy community? Well, if you think, because they aren't willing to share their own needs to be served, it's difficult to form a genuine relationship with that person, isn't it? Like, they, they might lead, but they're not open for help. They're not really teachable. And so, when, if something comes up, Who's going to talk to them? And it, it, they can just keep going, and it begins to hurt the community as a result of it, right? In fact, they may be so independent, they're trying to do it all on their own, that they actually, they actually just sort of burn out, right? And so at the end of the day, they don't really believe that they need community. Rather, they believe that the community needs them. You see that? So what's wrong with person one? It's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says about the church body that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? And he gives a bunch of examples like there where it has the veneer of selflessness, but it's really the sin of self-sufficiency. It has the veneer of selflessness, but it's really the sin of self-sufficiency. It's pride. Second, you have person two. 
Person two feels like they're not ready to enter community. And they're certainly not ready to, to take any responsibility within a community. They feel like they need to have everything put together before they serve. They might study the Bible privately, but they're afraid to really begin living it out publicly or in a community. Now, what about person two hinders healthy community? Well, God has given them gifts, even in their weakness, for the benefit, the good of that community. And so there's a sort of spiritual hoarding that's going on in this case. They've made serving about them, about their talents, about their abilities, not about God's grace working through their weakness. Do you see that? Do you see what's wrong with person two? See, it has this veneer of humility, but it's driven by a fear of how others will perceive them and a lack of stability in their God-given identity. See, the sin here is it's ultimately a disbelief in the sufficiency of God. It's fear. And so we have pride, person one, the person who is attempting to be self-sufficient. And we have fear, person two, disbelieving that God is sufficient. Which one of these two scenarios do you most identify with? I certainly tend towards the first one. Maybe you've tended towards one and at other times towards the other one. The problem here is that both, both person one and person two, both, both fear and pride make the us and community ultimately about you. It becomes what, about what you can or you can't do for other words, for other people. In other words, pride and fear destroy the community. Pride and fear destroy the community, but the good news is that Jesus restores it. Well, how so? How does Jesus restore a community that is assaulted at all times? And this is every community that we live in by fear and pride. Well, because the gospel tells us that we're not self-sufficient. That we're not sufficient enough to please ourselves, let alone an all-holy God. In fact, the gospel says that we're so insufficient that God had to enter into our community and take on the consequences of that very thing, our fear and our pride. And so the death of Jesus for our sin humbles us of our pride because it tells us that you and I, we too, we need forgiveness. It reminds us that we're not sufficient. And the resurrection of Jesus, it quenches our fear. How? Because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And by his power, God is able to use you, he says this, despite your weaknesses, through your weaknesses. And this reminds us then that God is sufficient. And so because of the emboldening power of the gospel, person too can step up in confident faith, right? Recognizing the gifts that God has given them for the common good of the community. And because of the humbling power of the gospel, person one, the proud person, who's not able to be served, but only to serve they can be changed because they've received grace from Jesus and so now they're able to receive it from others as well. So they can be taught, they can listen, they can learn, they can submit as necessary. And so the gospel at able is at once able, we now see, to humble us of pride and to quench our fear. It allows us to be relationally secure, resting for both of these individuals or scenarios in the sufficiency of Jesus. It takes that you-do-you mentality and transforms it into an us-in-him mentality, a community united in Jesus. And so the gospel creates community. But how do we be a church like this? Well, what we do in this church is we've done some theological reflection and we've just put a name to what it looks like to have gospel community. We call them city groups. But city groups is just a name for what God calls us all to. And that is a family of servants on mission. And that can be in the local context of where you you live, you work, you play. Um, Even within the city, you're going to see a lot of variability between our different city groups, be it the age or the just the different neighborhood that it's in, the stage of life that people are in, and that's okay. They, they don't need to look all the same. They'll look very different from each other. Remember that idea of it being elastic, right? We're not bound by form. We're bound by the what? The mission of Jesus, a family of servants on mission. And so I want to move into a time of application, which is the sort of what do we do? 
First, if you're part of a city group, if you're part of a city group, remember that your family, <clears throat> that the way that the way that you think about the people in your city group is a lot like the way that you would think about people in your biological family. Right? You don't choose your family. You might actually have nothing in common with another member of your family except that last name, but that's the whole point. Right? You might have nothing in common with someone in the family of God, but you have given, been given a name that's in common, right? the name of Jesus Christ. And so the city group might not be people that you would regularly choose to hang out with. Rather, God has chosen them for you. And there's something beautiful about this, right? There's a diversity to the Christian family. And so if we're, if we're a family, we're called to share our lives regardless of that diversity, regardless of those differences. And so do you share, for those of you who are in a city group, do you share what's going on your, in your life with the people in your family, in your city group? Do people know how to pray for you? Do people know how to care for you? Are you allowing yourself to be known and to know others. You can do this by opening up to people in your city group um, about your anxieties and concerns, right? Inviting them into celebrations, things like birthdays and, I don't know, homecomings or holidays or even things like moving. Um, but this past week, just as an example, Sandra and I, we had Rebecca and Debbie over uh, from our city group for supper. And this, was, this is a celebration because it was the end of Debbie's time at McGill, at, well, law school, but it was also bittersweet because she's moving home next week. But these are the, these are the kinds of things that family does, right? These, these are the kinds of things that make family family. It doesn't always have to add to your schedule. Sandra and I were going to eat supper anyway that night. But just invite people into your everyday normal life. Eat together, study together, maybe go running together. What is it, that normal rhythm that you go through? And of course, to live like family does require a degree of commitment. I remember the first time that Sandra and I co-ran an alpha community. Um, we were just dating at the time. And what Sandra found is that I treated this little Christian community pretty ad hoc. I, I didn't take it seriously. I would like, you know, plan shop. What's coming up tonight? I don't know. See if something there's more interesting on the radar and maybe do that instead. Um, See, I wasn't committed. I wasn't devoted to the group. And what happened is because of this, I really did suffer in the group. I wasn't able to form the depth of relationship with the people in the group that I would otherwise have been able to form. <clears throat> and so this doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to be at every family get-together. But do, do make family a priority, right? And if you can't be there, let your city group know. Send them a text. Uh, send it to everybody. It shows them that you value them, uh, that you recognize that your absence affects the family of the group. <clears throat> and so remember your family. And also remember that your servants. Philippians 2, <clears throat> 3 to 7 says this, I'll read it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also <clears throat> to the interests of of others, having this mind among you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Um, and so remember your servants, like Jesus was a servant for you this past few weeks. Uh, have been especially difficult for Jeff and Jillian. Um, Jillian had a, a child prematurely. His name is Samuel, and he's, he's healthy, thank the Lord. But it was, it was the family, it was the city group that rallied around them during this time, who were watching their kids, who were bringing them meals, who were praying for them. Because this is what family does, isn't it? That we, we care for each other, that we, we serve each other. So what are the needs in your family? What are the needs in your neighborhood? Are you aware of them? Um, one of the things that struck our city group last year was, was the loneliness that is in our city. Like the city is full of people, and yet so many of those people live their lives in almost complete isolation. And you don't know about it because they're alone. Um, 
but we had heard about this. We just heard the stat, basically. Uh, and <clears throat> so we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we said, well, why don't we just do dinners together? We're like, dinners together? Our place is too small. What if we did it outside? What if we did it in the park? And so we, we made 20 flyers that said, we like food, you like food, potluck, time and place. Hand out 20 flyers. We had about 20 people show up. And one of the people that showed, it was a lot of fun, right? You just think about it. You don't have to clean up. It's the park. I mean, you just put stuff like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not like washing the tables and this kind of thing, right? It was very easy. And we brought as much food as we would to just eat with ourselves. And yet it was suddenly a party and we were meeting our neighbors. Or the very next time we did it, there was about a month between the first and the second time we did it. And I had met a guy the first time who I saw the second time we did it. And he came and we were talking. And he said, you know, I've come every week to this place at the same time hoping to see you guys here so I wouldn't have to eat alone. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, loneliness is a real ep epidemic in our city. And yet this was easy. It was fun. It didn't have to be complicated, right? There was nothing revolutionary about it. That when it comes to serving in our city, there are thousands of organizations, thousands, looking for volunteers. We're not reinventing the wheel, right? We're simply asking the question, what are the resources that God has given you? Right? What are the spaces, the times, the, the talents, the treasures, all of that? What, then, then what are the needs? Where, where will God have me match the resources that he's given me to steward with the needs that are in the place I am, community, I am in community in? Right? How can we share this responsibility together? How can we share one another with one another in our neighborhood? And so remember that you're family. Remember that you're servants. And third, remember that you're missionaries if you're in a city group. Um, if you have friends who are interested in Jesus, which you do, even if you don't think that you do, you do. Um, you just might not know it. The city group is by far the most effective way that they're going to be able to engage with the gospel and have their questions asked. Why is that? Well, the city group is not just for, for Christians, right? We want to be leaving a space in our group for people who do not yet know Jesus to explore him. Um, let me give you an example of this. I've seen this happen multiple times, but uh, I remember one guy a few years back who became integrated into the city group community. And he wasn't a Christian, but he was interested in it. And because of the diversity of gifts in the group, because of the different people who were able to respond in different ways to the questions that he had, he was able to learn about Jesus in all these ways that he never otherwise would have been able to had he just stayed connected to that one first person he met. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay. Because of the diversity of gifts in the group, this person was able to ask his question to a number of different people and hear a variety of responses and see how the gospel is worked out through a number of different people. And it was much more helpful, is much more helpful for him than had he just continued to interact with that one individual he'd met. And so it, it creates like a multi-dimensionality. He gets to see, um, he, gets to, he gets not to just hear about the significance of the gospel, he, he gets to see it actually lived out in community and people's lives and how they interact with each other. Um, and so it, it brings it some from like from tell to sort of show in, in that sense. It makes it much more practical. Um, and so he enjoyed, he enjoyed that community so much that when the time came for him to move away, um, he actually decided to join a church back in North Carolina where he'd moved. And his mom's like, what are you doing in church? And so he's like, oh, come along. And his mom became a Christian. And the funny thing is that even to this day, I don't think he is a Christian. But yet, you see like, <clears throat> that when we're on mission in community, that there's a strength to it. There's a strength to the diversity of the, of the community. <clears throat> but imagine, imagine like, what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like <clears throat> if, the, if the entire Christian church actually was functioning as this, was actually functioning as a family of servants on mission. Right? That didn't just care about themselves. That didn't just care about their own needs and building their own empire and their own tribe. Right? But genuinely cared about the peace and the prosperity of the city. 
that genuinely cared about reconciliation with God and with each other. Imagine how that could change the city. How else are we going to do it? (laughs) But it can happen. It can happen. But I do have one more application, and that's what do you do if you're not part of a city group? Now, I recognize, I want to say this, I want to say this carefully, that I recognize if you're not part of one of our city group communities, but you are committed to one of the other Christian missional communities in this city, um, that that's fine, right? This might be a, a discipleship group uh, with power to change or inner varsity, and we recognize that being a part of a second, uh, deeply integrated Christian community really is, is like over the top. It might be too much for you to commit to, and that's okay. Um, because we know, we know, we know and we trust your leaders. Um, but rather, what we're trying to do is ensure that everybody in the local church is known and can be known in a committed spiritual family that is local to them. Now, everybody in the no- local church is known and can be known in a local church that is committed to them. Right? Um, and so I put my number up on the screen. You can text me. Um, but let's just end by this. Let's answer that question. Why, why should I be part of Christian community? And the Christian community that we offer here is city group. So why should I be part of a city group? Well, first I would say it's, it's maturity. Um, that when we say have a personal relationship with Jesus, I've said this before, it doesn't mean a private individualistic relationship with Jesus. Rather, God has chose his body to be the means through which he sanctifies you, the means through which he grows you up into maturity in Christ. That's why you'll never meet a spirit-filled, word-indwelling Christian who says, like, I'm above community. I don't need to be part of a community. No. In fact, those those spirit-filled, word-indwelt Christians, they're actually found at the heart of communities because it's communities that produce these kinds of people. And so watch out for the sin of self-sufficiency in your life. It can come in a variety of disguised ways. It can come as the sin of uh, biological family sufficiency, if you'd have it, or couples sufficiency. And this is the sort of where you isolate yourself or your, your family or, or the couple that you are in, without taking into consideration the true family of God. See, God wants you to use your gifts to minister to others. The Spirit wants to use you. The Spirit wants to use you. Like, how astounding and how humbling is that? God wants to use you to minister to those around you, and he wants to use those around you to minister to you, to help you grow into maturity in Christ. And so why join a city group? For maturity, but also for accountability. If you're not in a city group or one of the equivalent ones I've described, then, then we're not really shepherding you. As a church, you're not really a part of the structure of this church because our church, it's built around the city group sort of model. And so as city groups grow, so the church grows. And you might say, well, I had a lunch with you, or I had counseling with so-and-so here and there. But honestly, the, the, the church structure is not set up around that. And so the reason that we're, we're asking you to join a city group, that as leaders we're asking you to do this, is, is so that we can help shepherd you, so that we can help care for you, so that we can know that you're committed to the life of the church. But will you trust us to, to get inside Christian community, to get inside family where you can be known and known. And at its heart, right, denial of Christian community is a denial of Christ himself. Because a denial of his body is a denial of Christ because he's the head. And so it's maturity, it's accountability, and it's also opportunity. Uh, maybe you can't make it to the meetings. And I, I get that. I understand that. And that's fine. Because, because a family is more than just a meeting, right? But be involved, even if you can't make it to the meetings. Um, I want to just present, kind of as I wrap up, with a few of the opportunities and needs that are part uh, of this church in our city right now. Um, we're trying to reach about 500,000 people downtown. There's thousands and thousands of people who do not yet know Jesus. And yet, how are we going to do it? How is the Spirit of God equipping you, resourcing you, letting you work, letting, (laughs) being used through you? How are are you letting him work through you? 
Some city groups are going well, some could be doing uh, better. We have about seven in English and seven in French. The, the English ones are in the Plateau, in Verdun, in La Salle, in NDG, in the South Shore and in the West Island. Um, and so if you're not in a city group, I've put my number on the screen, and so you can text me um, your name and the neighborhood that you're living in, and I want to connect you with the city group leader that is closest to you. Um, but we also have other specific opportunities. I'm going to just present two. First is downtown. Um, we need more people downtown to help Lucas. Um, we're very thankful to have him leading downtown, but he really can't do it alone. And we know that based on about the numbers in the church, there's about 40 of you downtown who are not part of Christian community right now. You're not really integrated in the structure of this church um, and, and are struggling with a lack of commitment. And we hear that, but this is an opportunity for you to be part of revitalizing that, that downtown core, to reach the core of our city, the place in which our church actually sits. Um, the second need, so there's downtown, there's also in Cote d'Ainage. Uh, we love our city group, um, but it's grown massive. It's, it's the coolest thing in our life, but it's also become difficult because we're not able to pastor the 25 or plus people who come from other neighborhoods in the city to be a part of it. Um, and so what we really need to happen is to multiply. Multiplication is a good thing, and we'd like to be able to multiply into Cote d'Ainage, where many of our people come from. Um, but we need people who are willing to step up. And so would you join us in praying that God would raise up people to, to be in leadership? We have, we have the resources. We have the training available. It's all been developed. But it, is God calling you uh, to be a part of this. We want to see this city, remember, we want to see this city saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, in preparing this sermon, I actually got very, very frustrated. I got um, super frustrated with my own inability to, to actually... <laughs> I felt my need, my total need on the dependence of dependence on God and the spirit in this. Because I can't do this. I can't call you to step up and serve in this way. I can't change you. It's the spirit of God alone that can change you. And I recognize that. And that's very humbling. It's very difficult to be, to be in that position. But that's the position we're all in, isn't it? That God calls us all to be with him in community and to be listening to his spirit. And so this is my challenge to you. But I don't want it to just be a challenge to you. I want it to be something that actually changes you. But again, it's the Spirit of God that's going to change you, not me. And so would you join me in prayer that God would open up our hearts to care for each other, to reach our city for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you know our weakness, you know our inability, you know our fear, and you know our pride. But Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that you are risen. I thank you that you are with us. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you administer to us by your spirit through your community. And Jesus, I pray that we would be committed to it, that we would be committed to each other, but most of all, that we'd be committed to you. Move in us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen.